This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to Isaiah. You have a handout this evening. We're going to be moving around in this great book, but I'd like you to start out with me in chapter 7, as God's perfect timing would have it. We're going to be looking at passages tonight that remind us about the Christology in Isaiah. And that, of course, is the doctrine of Christ in this great prophecy. You heard me say at the outset of this study that Isaiah has been called by some the fifth gospel because of all that this prophecy teaches about our Messiah, our Lord. And you're going to get to see that in a snapshot tonight as we move quickly. Hope you have a pen handy so that you can fill uh, in some blanks. Along with it being called the fifth gospel by some Bible teachers, notice in the introduction here, Isaiah is often called the evangelical prophet because of the many predictions in the book that point to the redemptive work of our Lord. The life of the Lord Jesus can be traced in passages throughout Isaiah. Teaching about Christ in Isaiah begins really here in chapter 7 with a miraculous sign. Look at chapter 7, verses 14 and 50. Uh, verses that we're well acquainted with at Christmas time, right? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 15. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both of her kings. But verse 14 is that miraculous sign. In the midst of declarations of judgment, God is going to send his son, Emmanuel. Now let's take a closer look. Letter A. This miraculous sign is given by God. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. And of course, we could fast forward out of the prophecies into the New Testament and even think of the physical signs that the Lord gave. Appearing to wise men, a star, uh, appearing to Joseph uh, and to Mary. All those signs but given by God, all of it orchestrated by him. And a miraculous sign, not only declared by heaven, but also consider that Emmanuel would be born of a virgin. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You'll see the first bullet there, the Hebrew word used in this text, is a common term for an unmarried, all right, and sexually undefiled girl. 
And there are some other passages there that help to support that. Uh, it's important to realize that that's exactly what the Scripture says. The Greek word, Matthew 1, used is uh, someone who is absolutely a virgin. I mean, that's just the definitions that are given in God's Word. Why is it so important that that be emphasized? Because those who have denied Scripture, uh, those who have doubted that God actually did this, a miraculous birth, say that it was just a young woman. In fact, some of the weaker translations will actually have that in those passages. No, God sent His Son to be born of a virgin. Mary did not know a man when she birthed the Christ child. So a miraculous sign. Isn't that amazing? Given by God, born of a virgin, and then named as supernatural. We've got some young people here tonight, and there's, there's a lot that's in the media and in movies about superheroes, right? People who are unusual, have unusual strength, can do unusual things. You do realize, right, that there's ever only been one superhero. And... Uh, and I am being very cautious because even using that terminology seems to cheapen who our Lord is. And I don't want to do that. But the reality is all the amazing things that, that are portrayed uh, with superheroes, you know what, that's, that's all false. But, but everything that it portrays that, that can wow and amaze you and I as human beings in flesh, that is our Lord. Uh, those powers that are divine. And we, we bring into focus here, named as supernatural, Emmanuel, God with what? God with us, right? The Word who was... At the beginning, with the Father, John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we got to behold His glory. Supernatural stuff? Yeah, He walked on water. Uh, he could go through doors without opening doors. And we could go on and on, raise the dead, heal the sick. That's, that's our Lord. But, but the amazing thing is that God became flesh and He dwelt among us. By the way, let me just fast forward real quick. You want to know what's amazing about that? Because He dwelt among us, He made it possible for us one day to dwell with Him. What was it like during the Gospels when Jesus in flesh walked on this earth? Well, you're going to get to discover that because in flesh you're going to walk with Him in heaven. Now, the better news is we're all in glorified bodies, right? Uh, and all this COVID and all this other stuff, gone forever. Uh, but that's miraculous. That's supernatural. John 1.14, we got to behold His glory. Whose glory? The very Father. For they are one. 
Isaiah is reinforcing the promise made to the serpent in God's first pronouncement of, and here's your next blank, of salvation, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. Well, the seed usually comes from the man. But the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Wow. So, miraculous, given by God, born of a virgin, named as supernatural. What else does Isaiah's prophecy teach us? Not only a miraculous sign, but a mighty sovereign. Once again, this Christmas season, we're going to be reminded, and tonight I'm reminding us about key prophetic passages that point to Christ's first coming. Who he is, what he would do. But Isaiah reminds us that he's a mighty sovereign. Look at chapter 9 now, and that familiar verse, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, the Mighty Sovereign. What would this sovereign be? What would he be like? Well, Isaiah tells us. First of all, number one, he would be humanity. Unto us a child is born. That's humanity. Okay? And I give you some support text that unfortunately we don't have the time to look at tonight. But the Word became flesh. He became flesh. Born as each of us has been. But not only would be He be humanity, but He would be deity. Unto us a Son is given. Now back in these days, nobody knew ahead of time whether it would be a son or a daughter, Right? And it's really even just been in recent years with ultrasound and so on that uh, these gender reveal things happen. Okay. Man, back when we started having children, we didn't know anything about any of that. A gender reveal party? Really? Okay. But what this text is saying as a prophetic text is a son would be given. That's a prediction at a time when you could not predict gender. But a son is going to be given. And it would, he would need to be the son because God has one son, and his name is Jesus. Okay. So a mighty sovereign, both humanity and deity. We're told what he would be, and then we're told what he would be called. Wonderful counselor. Notice in your notes, wonderful. Isaiah typically per, uh, pers personates Messiah, who is at once father and son, child and mighty God, and is therefore called here wonderful. Now, every child born, wonderful. Okay, you parents, amen? 
They're wonderful. Grandchildren, they're wonderful. But not in this sense. Not in the sense, Father, Son, Child, Mighty God. That fills us with wonder, does it not? Hence, in Hebrews 2.13, believers are called His children and also His brethren. You can see the sources uh, that I give you there. But a mighty sovereign. And then counselor. The child son would never need an advisory board for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor. And again, for you young people that are in here tonight, how old was Jesus when he began to exchange counsel with counselors? Anybody remember? Maybe, maybe this hit will help you. He got left behind. He was 12. Any 12-year-olds here tonight? Right there. All right. Now, I can tell she's a smart 12-year-old. I can just tell, okay? But can you imagine a 12-year-old sitting in the temple with the greatest minds of that day and having, listen, a theological discussion based on Moses and the prophets. And it's not Jesus who's marveling about them. It's them marveling about Jesus. Okay. The counselor. And remember that it was by his counsel, John 1, that all things were created. In him is life, and that life is the light. And all that counsel took place in his mind before he spoke it into existence. Wow and wow. And by the way, he formulated this wonderful plan of redemption with his father. And every day that has been human history, he has coordinated in that plan to bring the plan to where it is right now, right on schedule, just before his coming to rapture the church, and then in seven years to come and physically return at his second coming to earth. And his counsel stands. Who can counsel him? Who can go against his counsel? Impossible. Not only that, he's mighty God. This, is, this will be interesting to you. In the Hebrew, you know what this means? God's strong, here's your blank, God's strong hero. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that was victorious at the cross. He's the one who will be victorious over earth's armies at Armageddon. By his own hand and arm is his strength. He's mighty God. I don't mean to minimize again, but do you have any heroes? You know what? Jesus should be your hero. 
And then he's everlasting father. Isaiah's claim, or Isaiah claims the coming son to be the father of eternity, everlasting father, along with the father inhabiting eternity. He is alpha and omega. What does that mean? Help me. Beginning and end, except that you and I know that really references when man can comprehend beginning and end. Does he have a beginning or an end? No. And your brain will start to hurt if you try to go back past creation and to think about the fact that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've always been. And, by the way, always will be everlasting Father. Obviously, this also is a reference to Trinity. He's the Father. He's everlasting Father, but He's the Son. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Everlasting Father, and then moving on, Prince of Peace. Again, the Hebrew that is used here in Isaiah uh, Sar Shalom, whose work is described in Isaiah 57. Let's turn over there, Isaiah 57, and look, please, at verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth what? Help me. Eternity. Whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble heart to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth, for the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him that is far off. And to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. Wow. Prince of Peace. We referenced this on Sunday when we talked about the fact that the Lord wants to conquer us. Okay? He came in. The incarnation was an invasion. We were in hostility against Him. We were His enemies. Why did He come? To conquer us to make us his children, to make us his friends. Prince of peace. Now, Roman numeral three, very quickly. Isaiah also reveals that in his representation of Christ, that his coming would be a ministry of salvation to all mankind. All right? This would be a Gentile ministry. Go back to Isaiah 9. A Gentile ministry. Ministry. Well, how so? Verse 1. 
Nevertheless, the dimness that shall not be such as is was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Those areas that are talked about, those regions that he lists there here in Isaiah 9, that's the northern part of Israel, of the promised land. In Isaiah's writing, it was already a place where the Assyrians had taken captive the Israelites and had moved in foreigners into that, that area, had moved in Gentiles. Already the Jews were thinking of the northern part of their country now as a place where the Gentiles dwelled. But they didn't realize that, that, that Isaiah could not have known that that was going to continue right up until the coming of Messiah. And so Galilee of the nations is a reference to, here's your blank, Gentiles. To Gentiles. In fact, it's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, and we're not going to turn there, but you know that in the fulfillment, and, and Matthew and Matthew 4, it quotes Isaiah 9. But in our King James translation, it actually calls it, instead of Galilee of the nations, it actually calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. And, oh, by the way, also consider... John 4, 4 and following, this northern area. Also consider the Samaritans. Remember that group of people that in Jesus' day were still hated by the Jews? They were half Jew, half Gentile, those Samaritans. And what do we read in John 4? Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost, Jews and Gentiles. And of course, the seeds were sown. The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, she gets saved. Others in the city are saved. Later, the apostles will go into that same area. More will be saved. More discipleship will take place. Why? Because the Lord came to save Gentiles too. So this would be a Gentile ministry. This would be a gracious ministry also. A gracious ministry. It pleased the father to bruise his son while sparing those bruised by sin. Again, our time is up, but you can go to Isaiah 42, verses 2 and 3. It pleased the father to bruise him. But guess what? That happened because Isaiah also tells us that a bruised reed, he won't break. You realize we're all bruised. We're all broken because of sin. And the Father has every right to crush us, to just break us, judge us. But that's not the Christ that Isaiah represents. He's going to come. He'll be gracious. He'll be gentle though he himself would be bruised. I love Spurgeon's 
quote here, the poor, useless, feeble heart, which like a crushed reed can yield no music, Jesus binds up. And the soul in which only a spark of grace lingers and out of which only a smoke of desire arises, he will preserve and fan into a flame. How encouraging is this? Oh, for faith to lay hold upon it. A gracious ministry. By the way, Isaiah 42 fulfilled in Matthew 12, 14 and 21. And again, please look up these passages. Uh, please uh, look at how the Lord demonstrates that. And when we see that in Matthew 12, you have to go back just one chapter where the Lord says, if we're weak and heavy laden, he'll give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Are, are you under a crushing load? He says, I'll bear you up. That's the Savior. A Gentile ministry, a gracious ministry, and then finally, this would be a grievous ministry. This I'm referring to as the suffering Savior of Isaiah 53. Just go through and underline all the descriptives about what Jesus suffered. Stripes, bruised, forsaken, mocked. It's all there in Isaiah 53, a grievous ministry. And yet it's through all that, listen, that we are by his stripes, we are what? We're healed. We're healed. Forgiven, made whole again. So let's conclude. A nation of rebellious sons has seen the great light. He did come unto his own. They rejected him, they crucified him, and they remain in darkness. Very soon, the light of this world will return to make rebellious sons a witnessing nation. He is coming back. Those who have seen the light from Isaiah and the Gospels, and I'm speaking to us now. We've seen the light. We know him, and we love him who we have not yet even physically seen. But we have the opportunity now, and we must share the light with the nations. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.